Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hi, everybody. Ron Guy, End Time Insights, back again Sunday evening. Thanks for listening. We love you. We love the Word of God. I wish to love you with God's truth. That's what it's all about. If it isn't truth, then it isn't love. We've kind of counterfeited love in the church, in the body. You know, we think that love is not challenging people. You know, the gospel is confrontational, in case you didn't know that. It confronts man and his sin. It confronts man and his fallen state. And it just doesn't do that, but it provides a solution for that fallen state, and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. So once again today, I wish to love you for God. Hallelujah. And I'm going to love you with the truth. We've been talking about Matthew chapter 24, a wonderful prophetic chapter, and we're up to verse, I think, well, I'm going to start at 13 today, and we left off talking about the false prophets in verse 11. We spoke about that. Men would be hated of their own families, that the love of many would wax cold because of lawlessness in the land. And that was verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Love grown cold due to a marked global increase in lawlessness. This is not a continual trend throughout church history, but this is something that is specific uh, towards the last days, the times of the end. That was Tony Garland. So today, verse 13, but he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. Jesus is answering their questions about what is the end, what is the uh, time of the end, what are the signs of the end, and Jesus has just told them what a terrible time it would be. He has just taken them into the tribulation, and now he says, he that shall endure until the end. And the word endure in the Greek, it's hupomeno, and two words, hoop, H-U-P, that means under, as in under the rule of somebody, and meno means to abide or to stay or to remain. It means literally to remain under, not simply with resignation, but to remain under the rule of someone or something with a vibrant hope. It means to stand fast, to endure, or remain in the sense of persevering, so that under affliction, under trouble, opposition, or trial, one holds fast to one's beliefs in Christ. The idea is to be patient under this pressure, to persevere, and to do so bearing bravely and calmly. Hallelujah. And so, Jesus says, but he that shall do this, he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. Hallelujah. Hebrews ten thirty-five to 39 one of my favorite verses, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, or cast not away your faith, or as Bible teacher says, don't throw down your faith. Cast not away your faith, which has a great recompense of reward. 
For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but we are of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And that's who we are, talking about the return of Jesus. He's coming. He said he would, and he's coming back very soon. Second Timothy talks about endurance to Paul writing to Timothy. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot in that short verse. Sorry, false Bible teachers. Anyone who says that Christianity is easy, that life is easy as a Christian, that it's without risk or sufferings, they're misleading you. Paul tells Timothy here, we are to endure hardness, hardship. Yes, many translations read hardness as sufferings or even afflictions. We are to endure that. Put up with it, knowing that there's hope, knowing that we are equipped to endure. And notice also, Paul tells Timothy that we are called what? Soldiers. They all therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So we are soldiers. We belong to the army of Jesus Christ. And we are in combat, spiritual combat. That means that we are engaged in spiritual conflict. Our battle is spiritual, and that's where our weapons and our victories are, not in this five centrum. But that doesn't mean that there's no physical sufferings associated with that combat. You know, war, battles, casualties, I get it. Also note that it's the good soldiers who suffer hardness. Second Timothy 2.10 Therefore, Paul, talking once again to Timothy, therefore I, Paul, endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So we learn that salvation is only in Christ Jesus. We learn that Paul says he endures all things. We're going to look at all things. It's going to shock you what all things is, and I'm going to make a point or two. But Paul then goes on and he tells Timothy that he endures all things. And he doesn't do it for himself. No, he does it for the elect's sake. He does it for us. Interesting point here is that he intimates that the elect, perhaps Israel, definitely the church, they don't have salvation yet, right? Who shall also obtain the salvation. The obtaining of salvation is on the other side of endurance. Wow, that's a new thought. Amen. So let's look at that all things that Paul talks about. There's a great lesson in Paul's sufferings, if you'll look for it. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul says, To this very hour, we have gone hungry and thirsty. He's talking about him, his ministry team. We have gone hungry. We have gone thirsty, even without clothes enough to keep us warm. We have been kicked around without homes of our own. We have worked wearily with our hands to earn our living. We have blessed those who have cursed us. We have been patient with those who have injured us. We have replied quietly when evil things have been said about us. Yet, right up to this present moment, we are like the dirt that is underfoot. We are like garbage. Paul says, I endure that for our sakes. There's more. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27. Paul writes, but I have served him, Jesus Far more. I have worked harder. I have been put in jail more often. I have been whipped times without number. I have faced death again and again and again. Five different times the Jews gave me their terrible 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
Once I was in the open sea all night and the whole next day. I have traveled many weary miles and have been often in great danger from flooded rivers and from robbers and from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the hands of the Gentiles. I have faced grave dangers from mobs in the cities and from death in the deserts and in the stormy seas and from men who claim to be brothers in Christ but are not. I have lived with weariness and pain and sleepless nights. Often I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. And often I have shivered with cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Check this out. This is going to blow you away. 1 Corinthians 14.1 And so, since God in his mercy has given us this wonderful ministry, we never get up. We never give up. Why? Because he called that what? He called it a wonderful ministry. Now, come on, folks. (laughs) There's real faith. There's real strength. There's a real man of God. He tells you all that he has gone through, and nothing's good about it. It's amazing he's alive, and yet he called it a wonderful ministry. We have such a long way to go, saints. We hit a bump in the road, and we go crying to God. Paul just accepted the trials and the tribulations, the sufferings, the persecutions as part of his job. He knew there was a far greater weight of eternal glory just ahead for him if, if, if he continued to endure. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Check this out. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Look at this, man. Paul had it right. Look at what he called all that stuff. He called it a light affliction, (laughs) right? I mean, look at it. In the sea, lost, adrift, uh, beaten with rods, beaten with whips, almost dead probably a dozen times. Oh, this light affliction, which is but for a moment, he saw things in their proper perspective. He was doing this for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was suffering for Jesus Christ. Why? He kept his eyes on a far more eternal weight of glory. I love that phrase, the weight of glory. Glory isn't like air. You know, you can't feel it. You can't see it. Unless the wind is blowing, you don't know it's there. But he talks about the weight of eternal glory. I mean, mm. God bless Paul, man. I'm going to hunt him down when I get there. Hallelujah. Rick Renner talks about the word endurance. Uh, He talked about the persecution that the saints endured in the book of Revelation. And he gave the picture of sufferings that the Jewish saints had to endure. And he actually described uh, what that looked like. Regarding the word in that case, it was like the old time torture of the saints that had to experience this, this endurance that they went through. The Romans would tie a rope around a huge boulder They would secure it to a mountain, a tree or something, and they would lay the victim, the Christian, on the ground in a prone position. And then they would slowly lower that huge boulder onto the chest of the prone person. As the weight increased and increased pressure was put upon the saint's chest to get him or her to deny Christ, that same pressure would be applied more and more and more. And eventually the person either repented of their faith in Christ, or they just let it down and it crushed the guy. And we have a similar type of situation in our lives here in America, but instead of a boulder, okay, we've got the peer pressure. We've got, instead of a physical stone, we've got governmental mandates which are challenging our faith and our freedoms. We've got 
financial persecution, increased taxes coming against us, the government telling our churches to close. We've got all of this that we must endure, and that is a type of persecution and suffering going on. It will get worse, unlike people in the Middle East that are actually losing their lives for the testimony. You know, we are not there yet, but it's coming. It is coming, trust me. You must endure. Let me read that verse again that Paul says, I endure for the elect's sake all things. And you don't have to endure everything for the elect's sake, but you have got to endure the persecutions that are specific to you that are coming your way. Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So remember, in the beginning of Matthew 24, the disciples asked him, Lord, when will the temple be destroyed? When will the end be? What will be the sign of the end? And so he's answering their questions in his roundabout way. Number one, he starts warning them that they're not to be deceived. Don't let anybody deceive you. And then he starts talking about the sufferings and the persecutions that are already here now being this so close to the actual return of Christ, the end times. He talked about the wars, the rumors of war. He talked about false teachers, false prophets. He talked about plagues. He's talking about famine. All that is here now. And he called that the beginning of the birth pangs. So that tells us how near we are to the deliverance of the baby being representative of the return of Christ. That's where we are. So the first 14 verses in Matthew 24 address that. Jesus takes us into the tribulation and he continues on in right through the tribulation. And then he says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. So when is he returning? He is returning when the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. But notice, not a gospel, not any gospel. Not another gospel, this gospel of the kingdom. There's only one gospel, folks. It's only one. It belongs to Jesus Christ. Despite what man has done to it, it's still doing it. They're still changing the gospel. They're still counterfeiting it. They still got liars in the pulpit. They've still got angels of light standing in there masquerading as men of righteousness. And they're changing it. They're watering it down. No, Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom It shall be preached. Hallelujah, glory to God. Despite what man's doing to the gospel, it shall be preached. Not the counterfeit gospel, the real gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. It shall be preached. Then he's coming back. Hallelujah. And you know, it's such an honor to have God entrust this gospel to us, right? I mean, it's life, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. There is no other method. There is no other way by which man can be saved. The power of salvation is found only in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are honored. He has entrusted that to us to share it with others. But fortunately, he also ensured its success by infilling mankind with his Holy Spirit. It's not me preaching the gospel to you. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's the Holy Spirit of God telling me what to say. Hallelujah. But anytime you see the gospel changed, anytime you see the gospel altered or preached or done incorrectly with parts left out, it's because that man has dismissed the Holy Spirit from his assignment to preach the gospel to you. It means he has taken charge from him. And these men are false. It happens often. The majority 
of the time, if truth be told, people are false in the ministry. I read a, uh, who is it, George Barner, the Christian um, pollster, was saying that two-thirds of the pastors, two-thirds of leadership in our churches today has a carnal world view. What that means is they don't believe what God says about the world, about how we're supposed to act as Christians. They've substituted man's wisdom for God's truths. And so two-thirds of our pastors in America are leading our people astray concerning how they are supposed to be looking at the world morally, politically, socially, culturally. We've got man's wisdom replacing the truths of God, which we are supposed to be learning as we sit under these ministers of God. But if they're going to be off, you're going to be off. Amen? It's a simple gospel. It's a gospel with simple truths. Man has muddied it. We've complicated it. Just preach it as it is. It is perfectly fine on its own. Also, don't think that God left the preaching of the gospel worldwide to fallible man. Nope, not hardly. Remember, Jesus is saying, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. Don't forget, the church has been gone for seven years, right? And yet here Jesus is saying, And now, at this time, at the end of the tribulation, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. So somebody's preaching the gospel, and it isn't the church, right? Revelation 14, 5 through 6. Let's read it. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that still dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, And worship him that made heaven and earth and sea and the fountains of the water. So we see here that at this point in Revelation 14, that is the end of the tribulation period, the angel of God is going to be preaching the everlasting gospel. And who's he preaching it to? He's preaching it to those that dwell on the earth. Earth dwellers is always a phrase that's used for the non-Christian He's going to preach it to every nation, to every kindred, every tongue, every people. He's going to be preaching it to who's ever left, okay? But he's not the only one preaching it. Remember, after the church left, don't forget the tribulation. It's the time of God's judgment upon Israel. It is the uh, last move of God to purge Israel of their sin and bring them into righteousness and bring them into their proper place in the kingdom of heaven. And so now he's going to send an angel to do it. First, he had the church, but the church was preaching mainly to Gentiles. If any Jews got saved during the church age, it wasn't by accident, but that was not the thrust. That was not the calling of the church to preach to the Jew. The calling of the church was to preach to whosoever, but mainly they were bringing in the Gentiles into the kingdom because the Jews had rejected the message of the Messiah. But God, in his mercy, is going to send 144,000 Jews here, and they, after the church leaves, they will be preaching the gospel also, and their thrust will be into Israel. Uh, The Jews will be getting saved in massive numbers. It's going to be part of the greatest revival the world has ever seen, and they will be coming into the kingdom because of the preaching ministry of the 144,000 Jews. At the end of the tribulation, when after the two witnesses are still here, right, the two prophets, they'll be prophesying and they'll be killed. There will be nobody left on the earth, per se, preaching the gospel, at which point God sends the angel to gather up the final gleaning of those who perhaps have missed the gospel, have not heard the gospel. I mean, you got an angel flying around the earth and uh, he's preaching, talking to me. I'm going to listen to him. 
Amen? I'm going to pay attention. What is he saying? (laughs) He's going to be preaching the gospel of the everlasting kingdom. The worldwide preaching of this gospel, remember, not another one, this gospel is to everyone left alive, falls to the angel. And you know they're going to get it right, angels, right? So included in the preaching of this gospel is first and foremost a command, what? To fear God. The angel saying with a loud voice, fear God. I believe that's probably the greatest problem in America today. We don't fear God. I don't believe the church fears God as we should. Okay, and if the church is not showing that they have an awesome reverential fear, a respect that we are actually terrified of the Lord in a respectful, holy manner, if the church isn't demonstrating that, well, then we can't expect the world to copy that type of behavior, right? Remember, we are witnesses. Our lives testify that we know God. I don't care what the grace crowd says. I don't care what the new name it and claim it crowd says. I don't care what the boys of blessings only have to say about anything. It's the gospel and the angel is telling people to fear God. The church in the age of the church has the responsibility to preach the gospel to everyone as long as we're here. Yet through God's goodness, salvation is still offered to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord during the tribulation period. Once again, it goes to the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. Remember, 12,000 from each tribe. These men are virgins. They follow the lamb wherever he goeth. When they finish, then the angel will complete the task of witnessing for God. And he begins his process of salvation by telling the people remaining, you must fear God. Fear in the Strong's, the word is phobio, P-H-O-B-E-O, comes from the root word phobos, and it means to be put in fear, alarm, or fright, to be afraid with exceeding fear, terror. It's just a bit more than a reverential awe, folks. The Bible talks about, did I write it down? Yes, I've got it here, Hebrews 10, in the Phillips translation. Now, if we sin deliberately after we have known and accepted the truth, there can be no further sacrifice for sin for us, but only a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fire of God's indignation which will one day consume all that sets itself against him. And back to Matthew 24, and then shall the end come. When Jesus talks about the end of the age, he's talking about the fact that it's going to be the end of the church age, the end of the age of grace. He will be taking us into the millennial reign of Christ. And that keeps the context of the questions in view. Remember, the disciples asked him exactly that. When is the end of the age? The end of the age is after the tribulation. So after all of the warnings, all of the specific descriptions of the troubles that will appear throughout the next 2,000 years, Jesus finally announces the end of the age. But not everyone will be alive at that time. For example, when I die, I'm not going to be here at the end. So what is the end for me? Well, the end is when I die, right? (laughs) Okay, salvation will either have been achieved or not. I believe I've got it in the name of Jesus. I know that I am saved. And the, the admonishment, the uh, warning, the encouragement to endure until the end, it will be just as applicable to us living today as it will be to those who are alive during the tribulation. That's the point I want to make, okay? When Jesus says the end will come, you must endure. He's talking to you and me as well. Even though we will not be alive at that time, at the end of the age, We'll actually be returning with him. We'll be alive in that sense. But we will not be on the earth. We will have made our choice already. We will have suffered whatever we're going to suffer. We will have come through that. 
after having endured whatever the enemy throws at us. When we come back next week, we're actually going to start on like part two, I call it, of Matthew 24. It's going to be talking about the abomination of death, desolation. It's going to be what's going on. Jesus takes them back and he rehashes the three and a half year, the second part of that. And when Satan himself comes and uh, he lives inside the Antichrist and the Antichrist sets up on the throne in Jerusalem, the third temple, which will be built at the time, an exciting time. We're going to have to go slow so that you follow it. Many of you have not heard it, but it all applies to us today. It all applies in preparation for the people that will be left, left behind. And that's our assignment. And so we take it seriously and we're going to share with you those truths. Hopefully it will help your faith. Let me pray for you guys. Father, I thank you for those listening. I thank you their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I thank you that you love them. I thank you that they loved you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and the knowledge of the truth. Father, we invest the truth of the word in them that they may know you. They may know you and the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering. Thank you for their lives. Bless them. Be with them this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.